Church, let me encourage you, if you would, to go ahead and grab your Bible and join me in John's Gospel. John chapter 17 is where we are spending some time. And we have been walking through the prayer of Jesus that we see in in this great passage in the Gospel of John, a prayer that Jesus prays for his followers, knowing that the cross is right before him. He he is pouring out his heart to the Father in this prayer. And and we get an inside look look, if you will, to the heart of Jesus as we see his heart for his followers and for who would become his church. And so we've given, we're given this great gift today as we step into the prayer of Jesus. John 17, beginning in verse 12 is where we will be spending time this morning. And, and while you're turning there, I just want to say, as Anna mentioned earlier in the service, we've been walking through 21 days of prayer as a church, and it has been a beautiful, beautiful, gift. And I want to thank those of you who have been praying with us and and reading through the gospel of John as we've been walking through this time. And as we step into this final week of our our prayer focus uh, during this time of year, we we, we do want you to know we've got something very special that'll be happening this afternoon as it relates to this prayer focus. We're going to be doing a special time in this room at four o'clock this afternoon of a healing prayer service. And so if if you're here knowing that, man, you You've got some heavy things on your plate, some heavy burdens on your heart. Perhaps it's some physical needs that you're praying for healing. It could be relational healing that you're praying for or longing for. It could be you just walked through loss or or grieving and you, you need to be prayed over as you're seeking to heal. Whatever it may be, if you would like to join us, we would love for you to come be a part of this very special service. Our prayer team will surround this room will lay hands on individuals and pray specifically for the needs that are represented in the room. So four o'clock today, a healing prayer service. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Now let's turn our attention back to John's gospel here in the prayer of Jesus, John 17, beginning in verse 12. And I do wanna invite you all over the room to stand back up with me as I read from the word of God to get us started in this message today. If you are new to Shades, we we do this week in and week out as we begin our messages in the Word of God. We stand for the reading of God's Word and we do that because the Word of God is our foundation. This is where the people of God stand. We stand on the unshakable, immovable, inerrant Word of God that lays before us what God says is right and good and true. So listen to the Holy Scripture as we stand in reverence. John 17, 12, Jesus prays. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, the name which you have given me. And I've guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one for they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Would you pray with me that the Lord would use this prayer of Jesus 
to speak into our lives, and then we will be seated and see what the Lord has to lay before us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what we already have experienced this morning together. Thank you for the celebration of a life that has happened in this place. Thank you for the words that have been expressed in worship and in gratitude, Lord. And thank you now for time in your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and guide us illuminate this prayer of Jesus in our hearts and our minds to see clearly what you desire for us to see. I pray that we would see more of you, that we would understand your heart better as a result of this time in your word. Use this day in our lives for your glory and for our good. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. And aren't you so glad to be inside right now? I mean, when I woke up this morning and glanced over at the phone and it said 15, I was like, where in the world am I? What is going on? And you know, there are some people, believe it or not, that actually want to be outside in this weather. I don't know if you've been following the NFL playoffs at all, but uh, last week there was a pretty wild scene in Buffalo, New York. A blizzard came through Buffalo, a whiteout, a playoff game against the Steelers was supposed to be on Sunday. It got moved to Monday and they told all the Bills fans, when you show up at the stadium, bring your snow shovel because the stadium is completely covered and you're gonna have to dig your way into your seat to watch the game. Of course, they all did. Can you believe that? They did. They stayed at that stadium. And this is actually a celebration that broke out after the Bills scored the first touchdown of the game. That It's not snowing in this picture. Those are the fans throwing snow in the air. It's crazy. People are nuts. And it's on my bucket list at some point. I just want to see a playoff football game in the snow. I don't want to live there. I really don't even want to spend the night there. I just want to go to a football game in the snow and then come home very quickly. But it looks amazing. And here's what struck me as I was watching these crazy fans just so excited, so overjoyed in the midst of this really crazy weather circumstance. There is a unifying power when there is a common joy. There is a unifying power when there is a common joy. You, you've experienced it at a football game, I'm sure. You know, there, there's nothing like being in a stadium filled with, with 80, 90,000 people and, and you're surrounded by, by perhaps strangers that you never even met before, but then your team scores and your team does something amazing and all of a sudden you're just like jumping up and down and bear hugging a stranger, right? I've seen dignified women just lose their mind and start dancing in the aisles, hugging strangers. I mean, it just happens when we're together and there is this, this sense of a common joy. It brings us together. We celebrate together. I believe we just experienced this a few moments ago, watching those baptisms and 
seeing the church come together and celebrate this unifying power of a common joy. That's what Jesus is actually praying for his church in the text we're looking at today. The, the prayer of Jesus, as we've been talking about in these last few weeks, it, it is a prayer for the followers of Jesus. Jesus knows he's going to the cross. And, and in the first five verses of, of John 17, this prayer, he is praying for strength from heaven for himself to endure the cross and to do what God has sent him to do. He knows that time is coming, the hour has come. But then beginning in verse six, all the way to the end of John 17, Jesus is praying for his church. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for those who would follow him. And he's praying very specifically that they would be together, that they would be unified as one. We saw it last week in verse 11, that they would be one, even as you father and I, the son are one. Jesus is praying that his church would be unified. And here in verses 12 and 13, we see that as Jesus prays for unity in his body, he is praying that it would be unity that would flow out of a common joy. That the joy of salvation, the joy given to us through Christ would be a joy that is so powerful and so fulfilling that it brings us together for the sake of this joy advancing through us. That's where this prayer takes us. Look back at John chapter 17, verse 12. Jesus prays to the Father, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. This is talking about the authority that Jesus has as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, this is the name which you have given me. And then he says, I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. And we're gonna talk about that in just a moment. Who was the son of destruction and, and what is that all about? But verse 13, he then says, but now I am coming to you. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. My joy fulfilled in themselves. It is an incredible thing to consider that Jesus Christ prays that his followers would be so filled with joy that we would be fulfilled. That there would be a joy that would be unwavering in the followers of Jesus Christ. That there would be a joy that, that is not fleeting or temporary in the followers of Jesus Christ. How is that possible? It's only possible if that joy is not built on circumstance or things, but is built on the unwavering eternal love of God. I love what Kent Hughes writes in his commentary on John 17. He says, joy, listen to this, joy is the occupation, character, and realization of heaven. It is not dependent on circumstances, but on the love of God. Joy is the occupation, character, and realization of heaven. Now, from time to time, I talk to people who are like, you know, I wonder what heaven's gonna be like. Like, what are we gonna do for eternity? 
Are we, are we gonna be bored? I mean, eternity is a long time. I mean, what are we gonna do? Hey, please hear this. Joy is the occupation of heaven. Can you imagine being in a place with God where, where you are perfectly fulfilled in joy at all times? Nothing lacking, nothing fading, nothing fleeting. Joy is the occupation character and realization of heaven because it is not built on circumstance. It is built on the eternal love of God. And this joy is to unite the people of God. This common joy is to draw us together for the sake of this joy being lifted up and sent out to others through the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. One of the great privileges of going on a short-term mission trip, I know many of you have been on short-term international cross-cultural mission experiences. And, and if you haven't, I wanna strongly encourage you, let 2024 be the year that you go on a mission trip. We're gonna be talking a lot more about that over the next week or so as we step into our global impact catalyst. But one of the great experiences of a, of a cross-cultural mission uh, trip is that the, the moment you step onto the ground in a different culture, in a different context with people from a different background and you meet someone from a different background or ethnicity who, who has a relationship with Jesus, all of a sudden strangers become friends. I mean, it's just, it's uncanny. It like happens in a moment. You may have nothing in common except a relationship with Jesus and that relationship with Jesus and that joy of salvation, that joy of the gospel, it is, it is so unifying that immediately strangers become friends. There, there are hugs, there are, there are high fives, there is come into our house, come and sit here and have this meal. Let me show you what God is doing in our midst. Let me tell you how God is moving in our midst. And there is this joy that is just absolutely contagious and absolutely unifying. Jesus is praying that we would be so filled with the joy of salvation that we would be fulfilled and we would be drawn together because of what Christ has done. It's an amazing prayer that Jesus prays. But it is important that we understand where Jesus then takes us because verse 14 has a, has a very different tone than, than verse 13 that talks about being fulfilled with, with the joy of Jesus. Verse 14 actually talks about difficulty. It talks about opposition. And, and Jesus is, is telling us in the, in the midst of his, his prayer for the people of God to be filled with joy and unified in joy. He's saying, look, I'm not talking about an easy life. That's not what I'm talking about. Because remember, this is not about circumstance. This is a, a joy that, that overrides circumstance. This is a joy that is consistent and steady regardless of circumstance. And Jesus actually says in verse 14, no, you need to know that the, the journey is gonna be tough. It's gonna be hard. You need to expect difficulty. 
You even need to expect that there will be some opposition along the way. There are going to be struggles. There are going to be trials. There are even going to be those who come against you. The the language here is very challenging to hear. This is the prayer of Jesus. John 17, 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is saying, look, it's not, it's not a matter of if you will face difficulty and if you will face opposition. It, it's a matter of when. The world's not going to understand you and the, and the world is broken and, and there are going to be struggles and there are going to be difficult seasons and there are even going to be those who, who come against you simply because you have a joy that they don't understand. One of the disciples that was listening to this prayer of Jesus when he was praying this prayer in the upper room before he would be taken away to go to the cross was the disciple Peter. We know that Peter has written several letters that are included in the Holy Scripture. And in one of those letters that Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 4, He says this in verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This, Peter's saying, it's not strange when the fiery trial comes, don't be surprised. Jesus told you it was going to happen. Jesus told you to expect opposition. Jesus told you that the the journey would be difficult. But then Peter writes, verse 13, but rejoice, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Here, Peter is reminding us that this joy that we have in Christ, it is not a joy that is built on circumstances that change and fade and fail us and are fleeting. No, this is a joy that is built on the finished work of what Christ has done. And when we face difficulty and when we face fiery trials or opposition, they are to serve as a reminder that we have been given a joy that is eternal. A joy that does not fade in the face of difficulty or in the face of struggle or opposition. The word of God is reminding us here, you've been given a joy that is unshakable. And you're gonna need that joy because there will be times that the world may hate you. There will be times that the world may misunderstand you, may may not be able to comprehend why you have this joy that they don't have. Jesus actually gives us some insight into why the world responds to the joy-filled followers of Christ the way the world responds. And we see this in in John chapter three. If you were to go back a few pages in John's gospel to that that great passage of scripture that gives us the most well-known verse in all of the Bible, John 3, 16, right after what Jesus says about the love of God on display through the son, verse 19 of John three, we see this. Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates 
the light and does not come to the light, lest their works should be exposed. Here Jesus is explaining why many followers of Christ will face opposition from those who are in the world. He is explaining that those who are of the world are, are also looking for joy. Everyone's looking for joy. But those who are of the world are looking for joy in the things of this world. And from time to time, they, they find these momentary pleasures in the things of this world, but then it quickly fades away. It quickly disappoints. It, it quickly leaves them. And so they go searching again for, for joy and temporary pleasure in the things of this world. And they chase after sin. And they begin to become comfortable with the darkness because sin flourishes in the darkness. And here's the crazy thing about sin is that sin promises to deliver the world. Sin promises to fulfill, but sin always leaves us empty and longing for something more. It never comes through on its promise. It never satisfies. You know, people, people don't end up in, in a life of addiction because they set out to destroy their life. They end up in a life of addiction because they set out to find some pleasure, to find a little bit of joy, if that's possible. People don't end up in the, in the bondage of pornography because they want to live a life filled with shame and, and darkness and, and, and embarrassment and, and, and pain. No, they, they go to pornography thinking, well, there, there might be a little pleasure there. This might just for a moment fulfill me. People don't walk out on their, their family into the arms of, a, of another person because they, they want to ruin their, their kids and, and destroy their, their world. No, they, they go thinking they're gonna be happy. They're looking for pleasure. And yet the problem with seeking pleasure in sin is that sin promises to deliver and, and never comes through on its promise. It leaves us empty. It leaves us in pain. It, it leaves us frustrated. It leaves us many times angry. And so Jesus is showing us when, when the world that is comfortable with darkness, when, when the world that is looking to the things of the world to try and find momentary pleasure, all of a sudden has an encounter with the light and this overwhelming presence of joy and true fulfillment. They don't know what to do with it. And they look at those who are the people of God that are filled with joy. That is a joy that is not circumstantial and a joy that is not fleeting. And they, they, they begin to hate the light because it reminds them of what they do not have. This joy that they see is a joy that's not of this world. 
And what the world does not realize is that it's only through the one who is not of this world that true joy and true fulfillment can actually be found. When Jesus talks about the world, he is talking about those who have not trusted in him. He's talking about those who have not surrendered to him. And there's a very sobering reality that we see in this prayer. Remember, we, we read about the son of destruction in John 17, verse 12. And, and, and before we talk about that further, I just want to say oftentimes in, in church world, when we begin to, to talk about the world, to talk about those who are in the darkness, to talk about those who are lost, to talk about the world. Many times we just conclude that, that the world, the, the people of the world, it's, it's the people who are outside of the walls of the church. And there is truth to that for sure. The, the people who are outside of the walls of the church, many times they are the people of the world. But please don't misunderstand what Jesus shows us. There, there also are people of the world inside the walls of the church who may have closer proximity to Jesus, but, but they have not followed Jesus. They have not surrendered to Jesus. There, there are those of the world who, who are here today, those of the world who, who know of Jesus, but, but do not know Jesus. And, and, and Jesus shows us this Again, in this prayer, John 17, verse 12, he says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, the name which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Who is the son of destruction? Well, this is Jesus talking about Judas. The one from his inner circle who spent three years with him, who had a front row seat to everything Jesus taught and a behind the scenes look to everything Jesus did. And yet he is called the son of destruction. He had a hard heart. He is the one who betrays Jesus. And this is, this is sobering. It's, it's hard to think about Judas. It's hard to talk about Judas. But we need to ask the question, why in the world would Jesus allow Judas, the son of destruction, a member of the world, to be a part of his inner circle? What, what is that all about? Well, Jesus says in this prayer, verse 12, this was so that the scripture could be fulfilled. There was prophecy about the Messiah, prophecy about the Son of God being betrayed. We see an example of it in Psalm chapter 41. I want to read this to you. Psalm chapter 41, one of the Psalms of David, verse 9 says this, even my close friend in whom I have trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And Jesus says, Judas is a part of my inner circle as a fulfillment of prophecy. Why would that be important? Well, I believe part of the reason that's important is betrayal is one of the hardest things in life to ever move past. As some of you today, your life has been defined by betrayal. 
And just the word betrayal brings a person to mind for you that that just absolutely sets your blood boiling. And and maybe the hair on the back of your neck stands up. You I cannot stand even think about that person because of what they did to me. The way they betrayed me, I trusted them. They walked out on me. They stabbed me in the back. They hurt me beyond what I've ever experienced. Betrayal is so painful. It's always personal. It's one of the hardest things in life to ever move past. And one of the hardest things in life to forgive. And Jesus sovereignly includes a betrayer in his inner circle so that when you or I experience betrayal in this life, we can know that there is a savior who understands. There is a savior who has experienced in a very painful way betrayal, but there is a savior who offers grace and mercy to the one who's been betrayed and to the one who has betrayed. This is really profound to consider that Jesus would invite the betrayer, Judas, into his inner circle so that you and I could see that there is a savior who knows what we experience, knows the pain we feel, and is with us in the midst of the pain. But not only that, I I firmly believe that Judas being invited into the inner circle uh, of Jesus is intended to provide us with a very sobering warning, especially in the church. This is a very hard warning to hear, but the warning is this. This is what we see in Judas. There There are those in religious circles or religious environments who have close proximity to Jesus, but they never follow Jesus. There are those in religious circles, there are those who attend churches who who are surrounded by people who, who love and follow Jesus, but they have never surrendered to Jesus. My old pastor, when I was in seminary in Texas, he used to say, you can sit in church all day long and that doesn't make you a Christian, just like if you come and sit in my garage, it won't make you a car. There are people of the world inside the walls of the church who have had close proximity to Jesus, who who know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They're surrounded by people that love Jesus, but, but they have not surrendered to Jesus. And this is the story of Judas. He is the son of destruction. This is highlighted in a very, very graphic, I believe, sobering way in John's gospel, chapter 12. This was part of our reading plan this week in 21 days of prayer. In John chapter 12, we we see this encounter between some of the followers of Jesus who, who love and worship him and then Judas, and it's very distinct. And I just wanna share it real quickly. And just ask us to examine where are we 
in, in this story. John 12 says it this way, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for Jesus there. Martha served, that's Lazarus's sister. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And Mary, the other sister of Lazarus, therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is an unbelievable picture of, of gratitude and joy. Mary is overwhelmed. She has literally seen her brother go from death to life. Jesus literally saved her brother from death. And she is overjoyed. And her heart is exploding in worship. Her, her worship is just, just flowing out of her in gratitude and in joy. And she spares no expense to put this perfume, probably the most expensive thing she owned, all over the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet with her hair in, in joy, in gratitude, in thanksgiving, in worship. It's amazing to see this. But then we have the son of destruction. It says Judas Iscariot, verse four, one of the disciples, the disciple who would betray him, said, why is this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? But then John gives us some insight. He said, Judas said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. What a contrast here. What a contrast between gratitude and joy at the gift of salvation and surrender to Jesus, simply longing for more of Jesus, just wanting to worship, enjoy what Christ has done. And then a man who is utterly and completely consumed with self, with greed, with selfishness, who simply is seeking to use Jesus to get what he wants. One is surrendered and one is actually in opposition. Both are close to Jesus, but only one worships. Where are you in this story? Is your heart a heart of Mary overflowing in gratitude and joy for what you have been given in Christ and what Christ has done? Or is your heart a hardened heart, a skeptical heart, a cynical heart, a frustrated heart, a heart that's actually in opposition to what Christ is doing? Jesus gives us this sobering view of the world, both inside and outside and says, there will be opposition for those who, who follow me because the world will not understand those who are not of this world. But, and here's where we close and here's where we'll go next week. 
in the midst of opposition, in the midst of hostility, in the midst of struggle, Jesus prays very specifically that his people would be so filled and fulfilled with joy that we would not run from the opposition, but we would run to the opposition that we would go to the world with the good news of what Christ has done. Because Jesus makes it clear in John 17, verses 15 and 16, that the people of God, his followers, are set apart, not of this world, specifically with a mission in mind. We are set apart to live sent. We are set apart, filled with joy, not to remove ourselves from the world, not to hide from the world, but to go to the world wherever God takes us to share the good news that there is life for the dead. And there is light in the darkness and there is hope for the hopeless. This is what Christ has given us. And this is what Christ prays his followers would take with them everywhere they go that the joy of salvation would be so overwhelming to us, we would be so consumed in what Christ has done that it would be contagious. That we would be outside in the freezing cold, throwing snowballs in the air for everyone to see because we are so drawn together and compelled by joy in what Christ has done. Again, we'll talk about this more next week. We'll be hearing stories about this next week. The people of God are set apart to live sent. The people of God, Jesus prays, would leverage our lives for the sake of the gospel wherever we are and wherever God takes us. John 15 says it this way, and I'll close. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Church, may we never lose sight of what Jesus prays for us. May we never lose sight of the heart of Jesus poured out before the Father on our behalf. Jesus says, you church have a mission. Don't miss it. You have been set apart and filled with joy, a joy that is eternal, a joy that lasts beyond this life, a joy that is far greater than any circumstance you will face. Cling to that joy. Take that joy with you. Share it with the world. Do not run and hide. Do not be isolated. But go to the world. Go to the world with this good news of great joy that has been made available to all people. I want to ask you to pray this week. Where does the Lord want you to go? With whom does he want you to share? For those of you who are in Christ, who is it that needs the joy that you have been given? I wanna ask you to pray that God would show you, this is what we've been saying throughout this 21 days, 
what he wants you to see this week specifically and what does he want you to do about what he shows you. And if you're here today and you realize that that you actually do not have this joy that we've been talking about, the joy of salvation. Maybe you're here today realizing that you've, you've, been, you've been close proximity-wise to Jesus. You've been surrounded by people who are, who are following Jesus, but you've never been surrendered to Jesus. If, that, if that's you today, I, I just want to say as compassionately as I can, this can be your day to be filled and fulfilled with joy. Jesus is calling, trust him, follow him, surrender your life to him. He wants you, he wants you to be fulfilled with his joy. And he has made it available through the gift of his life.